0: Naturally Savvy is sponsored by Wakunaka of America, makers of kaiolic, aged garlic extract, kaiodophilus, probiotics, and Green powdered green drink mix. All natural, healthy solutions to support your whole body well-being. Kyo means strength. Live a kyo life. Hi, I'm Lisa Davis. So glad you're listening to Naturally Savvy Radio. My co-host Andrea is away today. Things are really tough right now, and I feel like being inspired, really helps. And boy, was I inspired by the wonderful Dr. Lise Geer. Her book just blew me away. It is called Flashback Girl Lessons on Resilience from a Burn Survivor. Dr. Geer welcome to Naturally Savvy. Thank you so
1: much, Lisa. It's an honor to be here today.
0: It's so nice to have you on. I I don't even have words. Like I've been talking about your book nonstop all weekend. So obviously the words are there. But I was so incredibly saddened by your story. I was angry at your mother. And then at the same time, whenever I read a memoir, I always am careful that I don't want to give too much away. So what I'd love for you to do is why don't you tell us a little bit about what you'd like to share. And then we can take the conversation from there and help people now who feel like, oh, my gosh, COVID. Oh, my gosh, the election. Oh, my gosh, this. Oh, my gosh, that. That we're gonna somehow we're gonna get through it and we can build resilience
1: okay great thank you so i um i guess i'll start with um the initial crisis that uh came into my life i was burned in a very serious accident when i was four years old and the story of that is that my family of four went on vacation up to new hampshire so that's my mother, my father, my older brother, Mark, and myself. And it was our first night on vacation. We were in a cabin. Uh, and the cabin was right next to the very beautiful Lake Wanapasaki. And the cabin had a, a front porch on it. And on that front porch was a crisscross fence that enclosed the porch. And there was just exactly one opening off that porch that led right down to the lake. And that's very important to my story. So uh, my father and my brother were on one side of the porch and my mother and I were on the other. My mother wanted to start a barbecue. So she went in the house and she found something that she thought was lighter fluid. And uh, she poured that all over the charcoal brisket and tried to light the fire. And it didn't light. Or so she thought, because there was a tiny little flame that did light, but she didn't see it. And I'm right next to her. So at this point, she takes that can of what she, again, is thinking is lighter fluid, pours it on the charcoal again. But at this point, um, that tiny flame shot back up into that can of what was actually household solvent, highly flammable household solvent, shot back into the can. That can exploded in a, in a sort of fiery bomb all over my mother and myself. The wall of flame blocked any escape from where we were. And my mother, um, you know, God rest her soul, took one look at that situation and realized that the only way to save herself was to run through the fire and out into the lake. And that is what she did. And she left me there. So... I'm four years old and I'm on fire and I am trapped on this porch behind this wall of flame and I back up against the fence and I'm that's just where I am and my father I guess could kind of see where I was and so he hopped over the fence on his side of the porch ran around in back of the fence and he was just able to reach me from the ground and he pulled me through that crisscross fence, which had an opening just wide enough for a four-year-old body to flit through. And he carried me down to the lake and, um, and saved me. So from there, there was um, one ambulance that came because we were in this tiny little town in, in Wolfboro, New Hampshire. And this one ambulance came and took my mother to the hospital. And my father took me in the car himself. And, uh, on the way, driving to the hospital, I'm crying, and he's assuming I'm going to die. Um, And uh, so he reached into something that we both loved. We both loved musicals, There, and I still love musicals. And we had just seen The Sound of Music, and he said to me, all right, let's sing. And he started singing um, My Favorite Things, uh, from the sound of music raindrops on roses and whiskers on kittens he took me all the way to the hospital and there um they apprised the extent of my injuries which were life-threatening maybe i'll stop
0: and wow okay so do you have memories of her before you were four of of how you two interacted you know was she always, was she distant was she always just full of herself like it seems like just a consistent pattern, I would imagine, right? That this wasn't like she suddenly got full of herself. I'm only saving myself, but she kind of, this was like ingrained from what her piano brilliance and you know her other things she thought about herself, if that's making sense.
1: I I, I follow you totally, Lisa.
0: So my, my mother's backstory is that uh,
1: she was a child prodigy. She um, had perfect pitch um, and was at, at the age of two started piano lessons with her grandmother who was also a very gifted pianist. And my mother was, she gave her first recital when she was four. She was trotted out for all the family. She was very, very gifted and very good at the piano, spent all her childhood playing. And I just don't think that she developed things that most of us develop. I don't think she really developed the capacity for true attachment. And I definitely don't think she developed the attachment, the the capacity for um, prioritizing anybody other than herself. So she was a very confusing person to have as a mother because on the one hand, honestly, she was really smart and she could be fun and she was kind of calm. She had good common sense. She could give you advice like, She could seem great, but in any kind of danger, and there came to be a lot of danger in our lives, in any kind of danger, she was completely unable to prioritize anyone other than herself. Absolutely, in any sort of emergency, it was all about her. And that was a very confusing kind of mother to have.
0: Yeah, it must have been. And I think what's so heartbreaking is that you as a child have to deal with that and have this horrific, unimaginable thing happen. And then you're in the hospital and she's like, oh, I, you know, it's too much. I'm I'm in too much pain to even visit you for a long time. Yes. Do you internalize that? Like, what does that do to a person to feel like, is it me? Or did you see clearly? Like my mother had chronic illness. And my sister used to get upset because she'd be like, oh, mom's making us do all the chores and mom's, you know. And I said, well, how would you feel if you were in chronic pain? Like I kind of, I mean, it's still annoying, but I had a different sense. And she was always mad at my mom. I always felt sorry for her. Mm -hmm. You you know what I mean? So I'm just curious how that worked for you. I I was confused by her,
1: I think is the best way I could put it. Because she really, excuse me, would always have some sort of explanation for why she couldn't do this or why it was even wrong to be asked to do things. Like she always had a way of kind of maybe blaming other people uh, for her shortcomings. She was very smart. And having said this, I don't mean to make her sound like she was consciously doing any of these things. I of course. That she meant no harm, Uh, but she did a lot of harm. And so I was confused by her for many years. And Lisa, it really wasn't until I was a mother myself that I started to get my mother. When I had children of my own, and I realized how much they, they're they so dependent on their mother too, be there for them and to love them and to keep them safe and how I was so focused on keeping them safe and well. And like, that was, you know, mostly what I thought about, right. As I think most of kids are little, and I, and then I realized, my God, my mother just doesn't think this way and she never did. And that's when I started to realize there is something really wrong with my mother. I don't care what she's telling me. There's something really wrong with her.
0: Yeah, I was thinking that too. Like I was thinking maybe narcissistic personality disorder, right? Because there's something that almost seemed like a mental illness that wasn't being treated because I don't, that degree of selfishness just seems insane. Your father kind of seemed like he was there, but then he had his own issues. We, all of us only get one set of parents, right? I mean, that's what you get. And
1: uh, certainly one of the reasons why I wanted to write this book is I'm not the only one who has has had very inadequate parents who have done great damage. Um, You know, I mean, my story is, I think, maybe a little extra dramatic. You know, I went through a fire. There's like, my my family collapsed. There were, you know, by the time I'm done with the story, there's actually four family suicides that happened. Like, it's pretty dramatic what happened. But on the other hand, Um, you know, I find the more I talk about this book, the more sort of everybody can relate to it, whether it's uh, through illness that they've had or problems with disfigurement or family divorce or marital problems or parents who weren't there for them or suicide. I mean, like almost everybody comes from this book saying, oh my God, I totally get what you're saying.
0: Yeah. (laughs) I think right now with so much going on, People feel like they're just losing hope. I just like, how do I get more resilient? I read your book. I'm like, this woman is helping other people. She's living her life. She's thriving. She's been to hell and she survived. What tips or what advice do you have for people right now who are just like, I need to go back to normal. I And we just, don't, we're all in this unknown time right now.
1: Yeah. So I actually have been talking a fair amount in the last year or two about resilience and um, in doing so wound up doing some studying about it and, and and now I speak about it a bit. And there are, you know, many, many different things that help a person be more or less resilient. Some of them we have absolutely no control over. Like uh, there's genetic um, underpinnings to resilience, and obviously we can't control our genes. And there are um, economic underpinnings to resilience. You know, if you have uh, more economic resources, you can have better access to care and health care and a safe environment. So, again, those there are some things that we we just can't control. But there are some other things that we can work on. And, um, I developed a kind of a little mnemonic for that and it used to be perfect. And then I had to add to it. So it's no longer <laughs> so. The mnemonics is, is goals plus M M&M. and M. That's the imperfect part. So I like it. Yeah. Goals is, so G is for gratitude. O is for optimism. A is for active coping. L is for love. S is for social skills. And then that m M&M, m that stands for meaning-making. And I can go mm. into any of that.
0: Yeah, well. please.
1: Yeah, yeah expand. I, it's fabulous. So uh, gratitude. Grati- gratitude has been highly correlated with happiness. I mean, we really know that that's been studied, and we know it. When a person is in a position of noticing what they're grateful for, It completely changed your mindset, sort of like that. Um, It's pretty interesting, actually, how quickly it can change our mindset. And by gratitude, I don't mean that you have to have tremendously wonderful things to be grateful for, although that's nice. You can be grateful for um, your sandwich. You can be grateful that it's sunny out. There, There are small blessings almost in every day, I think, in every day that if you can stop to notice them, you will notice your mood improving. One thing, I'll give you an example. So in my story, I told you this awful story, fire, I was burned six, I didn't tell you, I was burned like 65%, my lip was gone, my chin, my neck, my arms were fused to my body. 65, third degree burn, and I was hideous. And I went through all that. Like 60 operations, all kinds of stuff.
0: And the pain. And the pain. When I was reading about the pain and back in the, when you had it it was 60s and 70s, they didn't anesthetize and they didn't, they just did it. I was just, oh my God, my heart just sank for you.
1: But here's the gratitude part. I was also taken to the very best Burns Hospital in the world. Well, in the country and probably in the world. Mass General Hospital was the best place at the time. I was assigned a brilliant world-class plastic surgeon who took care of me all through my childhood, Dr. John Constable. And after that, I was admitted to be one of the very first Shriners Burns kids in the in this new um, charity that they founded that gave me all my burn care for free. So here I am, I'm like the most unfortunate person. And yet I have had the most extraordinary medical care that saved me, you know, made me not hideous, um, and was, you know, a wonderful plastic surgeon. So that's the gratitude part, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And the, what was the O4 again? Optimism.
1: And, and optimism does not mean, you know, fake hope. I, I'm not into, oh, cheer up. Like, I'm really, really not. I'm a clinical psychologist. I get that everybody suffers. Believe me. On the other hand, Usually there is some kind of hope. There is some. At at the very least, there's hope that this day is going to be over, and tomorrow will probably be a little better than today. (laughs) Um, You know, in talking about the 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 coronavirus, this this absolute tragedy that we are all going through right now, and it's awful. So, what's the optimist in me say? Right. The optimist in me says. There will be a vaccine. It's not going to be tomorrow. We're not going to all be vaccinated by January. We're going to probably have another pretty tough year, you know, in the dark, in our places, socially distancing. I'm not saying it's going to be easy, but there will be a vaccine. And other epidemics have been conquered. We will get through this. Not tomorrow, but we will. There's armies of scientists all over the world working on this vaccine it's going to happen
0: yeah that's good i know because i sometimes i'm like this is gonna go on and on or i look at my daughter and and you know the social stuff is so important for her and this this isolation is rough and now she's at school two days a week and three days at home and the kids have to wear masks which i'm completely in favor of obviously in social distancing but it's just i think ah, they're never going to get this time back. You know, there's this, I look at the young kids and the teens and I just feel heartbroken. But yet she can still have lunch with a friend, even if they're six feet apart, she can still find a cute boy to smile at, even if she has a mat. You know what I mean? Like there's still things in that, but sometimes I just get overwhelmed.
1: (laughs) And you know, let me say one other thing about that, Lisa. I, and I mean this again in a positive way, not in a negative way at all. I'm not so sure that it isn't um, actually a good thing for kids to go through something. Not, I don't mean something that overwhelms them and crushes them. (laughs) Your daughter obviously, you know, has a caring family. You're clearly there for her. You're keeping her safe. It sounds like she's in a nice community. Yeah. She, she sounds like she is well supported through this difficult time. And that's character building these little, Moments and stress, as long as you have enough support around you, actually
0: kids learned from that. I'm so glad you said that. Because I made her life way too easy, <laughs> you know, because oh, you know, because of, of her differences and, and feeling like she you know, she always needed more support and and now I think, oh my gosh, like how's she gonna make it in the world? And so I think this is good that there is I hadn't seen it that way. So that thank you. That makes a big difference. See,
1: that's the optimism, right?
0: That's yeah, mm-hmm. right. And then the A was active, active coping, active coping.
1: So um, I find that you can almost divide people into a couple different categories. There are people when they have a problem who can be kind of passive, and they'll say, "Well, hopefully it'll get better." Or I'll just wait for this to go away. Or, you know, maybe um, someone will save me. And then there are people when they have a problem that take a, a square look at it and say, all right, what can I do about this? And active copers do tend to be more resilient. Now by active coping, I don't mean like trying to control everything. Like that's a whole other thing. Like there's obviously things in every problem that we cannot control. For example, the coronavirus again, we can't control that it's here. It is here, but what can we do? Right. You know, how can we ourselves make sure we're having an okay day, even though we're all going through this? Um, and I could give examples of that, but that's, that's sort of the mindset of, of being in a problem situation facing it square on and saying there must be something about this that is under my control. So like like last winter when it was really, really bad, well, I guess not the winter, the early spring when it was really, really bad, I was really big on getting outside every day and taking a walk. That was something that for me reduced my sense of social isolation and kind of cleared the darkness out of my head. And And yeah, I could sort of wave at my neighbors and we can talk. And, and so that was one small thing that I did every day that for me was active coping. I just give that to you as an example.
0: Yeah, no, I like that. Oh, I would be lost without being outside. And I mean, I don't care if it's 10 degrees, I'm bundling up and going outside. You know, when you said the active coping, and it doesn't make me think of it just because of the word active, but one of the things that I've been really struggling with is what's going on in this country with race relations. I was raised anti-racist by my parents and thank God their grandparents raised them in that way and, and very progressive. And it's just been breaking my heart what's going on. So I started a podcast called active allyship It's more than a hashtag. Mm-hmm. And I host it with a wonderful woman, sunny days and we do this show where we get really into the nitty gritty and and we don't sugarcoat and we talk about what's going on, but we also talk about how you can be a white ally and how you can talk to people about issues and what you can do to fight racism. And it's given me this, this sense of like, I'm not just sitting back, sitting in a corner, being angry or crying. I'm like actively doing something to try to make change. And I think that's really helpful. I feel like that's with this podcast too. If, you know th- that this goals and M M&M and M is is life changing. Like just the way when you were talking about the goals and the optimism and and the active uh, coping, I'm like, oh my god, this is so helpful. <laughs> you know? so, but yeah, but people should check it out. Active Allyship was more than a hashtag. It's it's really important work, and uh, it gives me some hope when I feel hopeless about that, that is, situation. That
1: is such important work. I've you know been doing my best to educate myself too on, um, racism and how to combat it as best I can and how to be a good ally. It's a lot of, it's, it's a lot of education, I think.
0: Yes. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, I'd love for you, I was actually telling Sunny about you. I'd love for you to come on the show because I think right now, you know, we talk about on active allyship, there's, Two pandemics and the revolution. We've got systemic racism, we've got um, COVID 19, and then we've got people who are trying to make change, right, within the way the system is. And it's a lot. Yeah. So we all need help with resilience, that's for sure. Yeah. So, but we'll talk about that after the show. <laughs> so we've got G O A, if I can say, and, and what was Ella? Ella's
1: love. You know, resilient people um, usually are people who are loved. So the interesting thing about that though is that sometimes we are not loved by the people that we wish to be loved by. There's it's very interesting though. There, there's been studies done on like children who've been neglected or abused, really badly treated children. And the studies show that you don't actually I mean, of course it's best to have a supportive family, to have a mother who loves you the way that you clearly love your daughter, to have fathers to have a supportive loving family. But sometimes we don't have that. I didn't have and my family was loving actually, but they were not healthy. They were neglectful. They were difficult. So but the interesting things is that you don't actually need a supportive family in order to make it. You need somebody. These studies done on these kids is is as long as they had, let's say they had a grandmother or a teacher, or a neighbor, or a sister, they needed somebody who saw them, who loved them, who was in their corner. So, um, so love, you know, stands for that has somebody who supports you. But again, it doesn't like for people who are like, Oh, my parents are really not very good, just like yours, Lisa least gear. Well, actually, that's okay. You know, look around who else loves you.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I spent most of my childhood when I wasn't taking care of my mom over at my best friends (laughs) and she was always there for me. Right. And I think, and her family, and that made a big difference. Yeah, I think I'd be a lot more, you know, (laughs) have a lot more issues than I have if it wasn't for that. So the S stands for social skills.
1: Yeah. And uh, so resilient people tend to be good with other people. Uh, they tend to be good at engaging and they have tend to be good at manners and uh, remembering to say please and thank you and the eye contact and all that stuff that is very important it's very important to create create and keep relationships it's very important towards creating that L for the love that we talked about earlier so But again, social skills are things that we can work on. I feel like I've neglected to make that point. You can work on gratitude. You can work on optimism. You can work on active coping. And you can work on social skills. All those things are things you can either work on on your own. You can get workbooks. Or you can see a good therapist. And all these skills can be improved.
0: Speaking of seeing a good therapist, you have to be in your area to see you or do I'm assuming it's like that right through by state right. laws and all that
1: normally the answer would be yes you have to see me in the state of New Jersey because that's where I am licensed and that's where I practice
0: right right
1: now and I don't know how long this is going to last the um the laws on that have been relaxed because of COVID oh yeah It's been interesting I've been able to see some people out of state it, virtually, of course, everything's virtual right now. Sure. So that's been, again, sort of a little bit of an upside to COVID. It's weird. To say, yeah. But I don't know
0: how no, but I know long what that's going to
1: last. But right now, those laws have been relaxed.
0: Okay. Well, at the end, we will definitely give out your information. Right? All right. So moving on to M&M.
1: Meaning making.
0: People who have been through
1: something awful, at some point, it's important to figure out a deeper meaning to that for yourself. Now, in the beginning, when you're going through something awful, usually all you can do is get through the day. So I'm always very careful when I talk about this to people. Like, don't say to somebody, like when they're going through cancer, like, let's find meaning in it. Like,
0: (laughs) (laughs) not yet. Too soon. Too soon. Just feed (laughs) them (laughs) lunch.
1: Just feed But at some point, (sighs) at some point, after you've started to recover, Resilient people are able to look back at this traumatic experience and say, "Okay, what have I gotten from this? What has it taught me? How have I been made a better person?" Um, people who are really um, religious tend to have an easier time making meaning because you know of the of of what they're taught in their church, and it's, sometimes it's easier for them. But people who are spiritual or just open-minded, I think, still can make a lot of meaning from their suffering. So uh, an example of this for me is that the meaning I make out of what I've gone through is that because I have suffered a great deal, I can connect with almost anybody. Anybody who's going through a hard time, I don't care what it is, more or less, I can form a pretty deep connection with people very quickly. And I've used that ability to be you know, a good psychologist. And I'm using that ability now in my book to explain all these things and to connect with, you know, hopefully as wide an audience as possible to be able to say like, yeah, you too can be the most unfortunate person, you know, and you can also make it through this. So that's the meaning I make from what I've been through is I'm using my history of suffering.
0: Yeah, that's incredible. I mean, if more people did that, you know, I want to jump into your book. You were five and you'd walk to school and people are such things they would say to you and yell at you. And I'm like, why are you five walking to school without? And then what also made me insane is that your parents wouldn't let you talk about anything about the burn, the feeling, the pain, the the emotional, the, you know, all the surgeries and, and feeling disfigured
1: it was brutal. I mean, yeah, I mean, the, the hospital was terrible in that it was so painful and scary. And, and being home was hard because I was, you know, at the time I, I was really massively disfigured. I was hideous looking and um, kids back in the day were terrible. I'm not saying, I think they can be terrible now, but, you know, but I think at least back then there was, I don't, it just wasn't even discussed like bullying. It was just sort of the attitude was like, well, good luck with that. You know, uh, nobody addressed bullying that I know of anyway. So, um, yeah, I would walk to school, to kindergarten by myself. You know, again, that's my parents' neglect. They were not after me. And these kids would just run past me just screaming like, yuck, or you're ugly. or like It was horrible. And I would cry every day, walking back. Well, maybe not every day. It felt like every day. Back and forth to school. Luckily, um, the kids who knew me were often very, very nice. Like I was in a class of, of these kids and we were in, I think, class together for five years. They, they took, that was back in the day when they tracked classes. So they took kids according to certain ability and put you, put you all together. And so I was in this class of these, you know, kind of smart kids. And, and they were so nice to me. So it wasn't all bad who didn't know me were terrible and even grown-ups i mean i am making it. only the kids would say terrible things but even grown-ups would stare and make me feel very embarrassed and by the way still do really oh yeah i, I know i i'm looking at i mean I
0: know can... I mean, people know unfortunately this video does not get yeah. recorded which is such a bummer um yeah so but we're working on that Uh, but yeah, I'm looking at you and I'm like, you're just beautiful.
1: I, I've had, again, extraordinarily expert medical care, but if you, so I'm going to, if you could see my chest. Oh yeah.
0: Okay. mm -hmm.
1: And so how that looks there is how I look all over my body. And depending on the clothes I'm wearing, like, you know, being in a bathing suit, by the way, is pretty tough. Um, depending on the clothes that I'm wearing, I can look massively disfigured.
0: In your book you actually have a bunch of lessons. The lesson one, tragedies will happen, do not expect life to be easy. We don't live in a fairy tale. Watch to see how people behave in a crisis. People can't tell you anything. They might be consciously they've, they might consciously be manipulating you or it might be unconscious. Behavior is a true clue. Behavior will tell you much more about who people truly are and what you can expect from them. Yeah, I mean, when I read that, I'm like, yeah, your mother's behavior just said volumes. Right, right.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, at the, as, as you were saying, Lisa, at the end of every chapter in the book, I kind of pan out from it, just briefly, Yeah. And write a few sentences about what I think the reader could learn from the chapter for themselves. Right. And, um, like some, some of the lessons are about parenting, some of them are about friendship, some of them are about handling despair. And, and this lesson, and, and, you know, this is something I talk about with my clients just like all the time. This lesson is about pay attention to how a person behaves. People can tell you anything, and often do. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, I'm not saying that people mean to lie, although some mean to lie. But people, you know, they, it's it, talk is cheap, as they say. But you watch a person over time and how they actually behave and how they show up in your life.
0: That will tell you everything you need to know about a person. You also have some great lessons about parenting. Mm-hmm. Um, and you also talk about suicide, lesson seven. If someone you love talks about suicide, do whatever you have to do in order to keep that person alive and don't kill and then you write, and don't and this is bold, and don't kill yourself. The people who love you will never get over it, never. Mm-hmm. And you had several suicides. I did. I did.
1: And that um that lesson in that chapter seven refers to the worst thing that has ever happened to me. And you might think, well, gosh, wasn't it that fire? (laughs) It was pretty bad, right? So you would think that. But the worst thing that ever happened to me truly was the loss of my brother, uh, Mark Tagheer, who took his life when he was 19. And um, he was very much my favorite person And he was absolutely my best parent. You know, both my mother and my father were pretty self-absorbed people. And my brother was five years older than me. And he was as kind and giving and attentive as, you know, a five-year-old guy, five-years-old guy could be. And uh, his death still just floors me. So I talk a lot about him, everybody who knows me, I talk about my brother all the time. And that's partly to me to keep him alive because he was so dear to me. And that's also partly to really speak to people like, just don't go there. I mean, I get that some days feel unbearable and I get that some even years can feel unbearable, but my God, the, the damage that you do, when you leave this earth voluntarily is uh, the damage you do to the people who you love is it, it,
0: it never ends. I like that you say the word never, because I think so many people, especially around death, that's a whole other topic, but they're so insensitive. I remember my it's the 25th year this year since my mother passed. And I remember it was like a month after and this guy was like, you should be over it by now. And I'm like, number one you don't get over it no i i say you get used to it yes i'm not happy about i mean yeah my mom and i we had our issues but uh it kills me that you know well it doesn't kill me but it hurts me deeply that she's never met my husband never saw my Mm -hmm. my child never you know i was 28 and i was a late bloomer like i got kind of got my career going after she passed and i was kind of floundering around in my 20s you know so it's just really tough, right? I mean, every big moment and I, I think of her a lot and I just wish our culture could be less insensitive. And I think you don't, I don't think you ever get over it, but you, you learn to live with it, but it still sucks. Yes,
1: yeah, uh, I I mean, I really agree with you. When when you love someone deeply and they die, that pain doesn't end. It. I think it can be less acute over time, hopefully less acute over time yeah it can be less ever present but yeah when you love someone you always
0: it it it's always a pain in your heart when you think that they're not there i'm glad that you emphasize that uh, you know my both my husband and my brother worked on suicide hotlines for years um, and i just really admire that you write in the book and i love this attuned listening is healing what does that mean mm.
1: So I'm a psychologist, and I've I've been a psychologist now for about 30 years, I guess. And I think a lot of people think about therapy as being a very complex thing where you use this technique or that technique, and, yeah, that, that is part of it. Sure, it is. But really the most healing part of therapy is feeling heard, and witnessed in a kind and respectful way so i mean there are plenty of times when a client will come in and they're going through something horrible and there's really nothing to be said about it it's not like you can say well just do this and that'll go away or you know i think you should love five times a day like no <laughs> you know there's there's no gimmick there's 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 really not much you can do other than listen to somebody fully and, and patiently with care and empathy and give somebody the space to fully feel whatever it is they feel in a, in a way that feels safe. And that might seem like that's all you're doing, but actually, that is huge. Because if you think, how rare is it really that in your life somebody is truly listening to you? But they're not like, well, I, I got to go or I got this text on their phone <laughs> or I don't know why yeah, feel that way or they're judging or whatever they're doing, like really attuned listening. We don't give that gift very
0: often. You are absolutely fabulous. I mean, just like I wish we could get together. <laughs> <laughs> where, where are you, Lisa? I am in Massachusetts, so not too far from Boston. So oh, I love Massachusetts. Well, we you come over, we can social distance and wear masks and have a good time. But really, you're just an absolute gem. Uh, was there anything you wanted to add today? And and I, I'd love to have you back. I want to have you on Active Allyship. I think you're just such a gift to the world.
1: Thank you. I would I would love to. I would be honored to do that. Well, anything else I want to say. Um, I mean, thank you for having me. Thank you for letting me share my story. I hope that people might be inspired also to take a look at the book. It uh, Even though there's a lot of sadness and pain in the book, it's actually, it is uplifting. It is Flashback Girl Lessons on Resilience from a Burn Survivor. And you can get it on Amazon or Barnes and & Noble. And I would be honored if people would.
0: And spell your name for us, just so people, because I accidentally called you McGuire <laughs> somehow.
1: Okay. It looks like De Geer. That's the easiest way to remember it. D-E-G-U-I-R-E. And my first name is Lise, L-I-S-E. And if you wanted to find me online, I am Lise Degeer, L-I-S-E-D-E-G-U-I-R-E.com.
0: Great. And people can find out about working with you. Now, I have to ask about that law then, that, in, in in terms of working with people. If you're working with somebody in a different state because of what's going on right now, when they change that, they'll be like cut off, yes. right? That's a bummer. That's the problem.
1: So, you know, I think anybody who wants to work with people across state has to think that through because it won't last
0: forever. Unless it does, okay. right? Maybe
1: they'll change it. The
0: right. That would be great. Yeah. I'd love to work with you. I mean (laughs) so fabulous. I'm like, I'm torn. I'm like, I'd like you to be my friend, but I'd kind (laughs) of like you to be my therapist because I'm looking for one. (laughs) I can only do one. (laughs) That's true. That's true. Well, I want to thank everyone for listening to Naturally Savvy Radio. We'll be back with more new interviews. I know we've done uh, some replaying some interviews that are very timely right now. Uh, but Andrea will be joining me next time and we will keep bringing you new material, new shows. So please check us out on social media at Andrea Donsky at Lisa Davis MPH and check us out on naturallysavvy.com. Thanks for listening and have a great day. Naturally Savvy is sponsored by Wakunaka of America, makers of Kyolic Aged Garlic Extract, Kyodophilus Probiotics, and Kyo Green Powdered Green Drink Mix. All natural, healthy solutions to support your whole body well being. Kyo means strength. Live a Kyo life.